Daily DVR Does Better Call Saul is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com, baby. Yeah! Go over to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today and use code DVR20 at any time to get 20% off your order, no minimum. Also, wanted to tell you about a couple things that are coming up. You can pre-order The Child from The Mandalorian. You can get a tie clip cufflinks pins it's so amazing and if you go to cufflinks.com you can get stuff for any nba team nfl ncaa major league baseball it's all there as well as the geeky stuff go check out cufflinks.com slash dvr today support our presenting sponsor and save baby get awesome products as well cufflinks.com you can get paid for your love Welcome to Daily DVR Does Better Call Saul. My name is Axel, and my co-host on this amazing journey is Ashea. How you doing? I'm doing great. We've got just one episode to cover this week, but I imagine it'll be just as long. <laughs> yeah, this was... Man, this had just had some amazing scenes. Uh, of course, today we'll be diving to Better Call Saul Season 5, Episode 3, The Guy for This. You can find out more about us at dvrpodcast.com and also consider supporting us, becoming a patron at patreon.com slash dvr. Hit us with an email at dvrpodcast at gmail.com and be sure to check out Ashea on Twitter. That's at Marinese Not and historyofwesteros.com and patreon.com slash historyofwesteros. I even had a, uh, I was thinking of you because um, that house uh, that the guy is at. What's that guy's name again? All the way. From, Acker? Um, which, which guy? The guy that Kim meets with. Yeah. Mr. Acker. Yeah. Mr. Acker. That reminded me of like, he had like his own game of Thrones castle. <laughs> <laughs> like as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh man, this is, this is like <laughs> if game of, it was like a joke, like YouTube game of Thrones version. And they're like coming yeah. down and it's like, dude, dude, it's in the desert. <laughs> Um, so check out <laughs> patreon.com slash history of Westeros and let's just get right to it. Speaking of great shots, this micro photography with the ants crawling on the ice cream cone that he threw on the ground at the end of the episode last time, that was like another just amazing, no dialogue, just a little Swiss like mountain climber music, yodeling. Yeah, that music. It was great. What did you think about this? What did this mean to you? Uh, well, first of all, it was beautiful. Unsurprisingly, I, I have to start off with that. Um, and I mean, I just ha also have to highlight that last close-up shot with that hissing from the ant. Just like shivers down my spine. But no, I was thinking about it throughout <laughs> it. I mean, it's these red fire ants, parasitic, you know, eating eating the ice cream that's associated with Jimmy with money. It's green. Uh, yeah. I have to think that it, you know, symbolizes criminal elements that are going to eat Jimmy all up. But I also think there's more significance to, to it as well. I mean, anything like that will have a bunch of different levels. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I saw that too, that like, um, Almost, you could see it that Jimmy was either, you know, right? Like yeah. he was the kind of the ice cream and taking what's good of him, you know, 
what's mm-hmm. sweet about him away. Um, that he was kind of, it was a metaphor for him entering this, like all the peep, cause we're at that micro level and that's kind of like the underworld, right? The hidden level and mm-hmm. the, the, the people in the suits and the fancy people are walking by above, but also that there's like a danger involved too in the ants being like exposed like that. Um, and the people want to avoid them. Yeah, that's yeah. There you go. It goes both ways. Like scary and, um, and also for both sides, right? It's almost like you know the animal's always more scared of you. It's. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was just amazing, and this definitely is uh, micro photography. I got to listen to a little bit of the Insider podcast, and at first I was like, wait. And they said the guy. I think. Uh, I don't remember who was like the music supervisor said like, we we don't have the budget to do like CGI like that. And it really wasn't, it was just beautiful, just enough photography. You know, they just have to sit there and you just piece together all these little ants doing that. And it kind of tells a story. And it really, for me, it speaks so much to the process of this show and how that they would even take the chance to do something like that. Mm-hmm. No, it was uh, impressive. I also, after I saw it, when it panned out, zoomed out, you know, and you, it looked so large and then you keep going and it's still quite large. I was wondering if it was, in fact, CGI, if they had enhanced it. Uh, it was, yeah, very astounding. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, there's like a nature thing in there too, obviously with the ants, you know, and like the primal nature, which I saw kind of coming out with um, with Kim and Jimmy and Kim at the end, because I think they're doing so much with with the the starting and ending and the way that characters, even way how they're shot and introduced, like we see, of course, Hank. First thing we see is kind of like a belly and the shoes, <laughs> you know, like they're yes. re- they're really working. I mean, they always are, but I kind of saw kind of the same thing where like the end scene with Jimmy and Kim throwing the bottles is almost them doing that kind of like primal scream thing. And that's kind of what the ant was doing too. You know? Yeah, yes. I will say with uh, that sequence with the ants, I also couldn't help but think I took note of that one of the ants, the first ant, you know, climbs all the way to the top. That ant is just dedicated <laughs> to doing that. You know, you're thinking there's plenty down there for you, but it just has to get there, which is the more dangerous position. I don't know. I'm probably reading a little more into it there, but. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that they, yeah, I think that that speaks, you know, that's the image speaking to the themes of the show and they definitely do that. That's something that they're actively participating in. Um, But we kind of start right off where we left off with uh, Jimmy in the car with Nacho. And this is like a dialogue free scene um, to just ride it in that car. And you don't know. I don't know what's going on. You don't, nobody really knows. We're still trying to figure it out. And Jimmy is too. And a lot of this episode, I felt like, um, I mean, it felt so much like breaking bad to me, of course, with Hank in it, but just also the way that he's really, 
we saw him kind of bounce back, right? And get his license and he's selling the cell phones. He's doing great. And now here he's almost on the ropes again, just because he's in a world that he's like, has a total lack of control. And this car ride kind of speaks to that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Nacho hammers it home, you know, later that there's no way out that when you're in, you're in. And Jimmy sees that he's in the car and there's actually no way out of the car. He can't unlock it or just, you know, leap out. And if he did, they have a gun. No way. Um, but in that car sequence, I also the first shot we got I, and I didn't even really, I don't know, take note of it the first time. But in rewatching it, it's a reflection that we see of um, the other dealer and Nacho in the in the wheel. Yeah, it's shiny, shiny wheel, and I just didn't even catch my eye the first time. It's beautiful. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, and it's that's in it. That's like a little bit of uh, like close up micro photography in a sense as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, we have you know, to kind of look into it. You know, they talk about how um, Price, the guy with the big yellow and red flames, uh, like SUV Hummer or whatever he had from previous seasons, how that's the car of a drug dealer. You know, they talked about (laughs) maybe not this one is. It literally has dollar signs in the back window. Yeah. Sparkly dollar signs. It is uh, extremely flashy. Yeah, they know how to do it. And they end up driving – and meeting up with Lalo. Um, Who's singing and whistling. As <laughs> he continues to be just a joy, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, love him. He, he's, he's great. And in this scene, too, this is like we're seeing um, kind of – it's like a new introduction to him, right? Because when he first showed up, it was so subtle. He's just back there cooking. He starts talking to Nacho. He starts following Mike. But this is like you're meeting the big guy routine that now Lalo's getting, you know? Mm. And I just thought the way he played it, like, you know, he, he's fixing the car. He goes over to the sink. He's talking about Tuco. And then it kind of, you know, he tells us and it dawns on me. I thought while they're in the car ride, I thought, okay, so – Nacho was basically just trying to save Domingo. So he's like, I can get a lawyer, but that's not what happened at all. Lalo actually wanted to bring Jimmy in because of what the incident with Tuco and talking him out of killing the kids and just breaking their legs. See, my question is uh, whether, yeah, I guess he did know that story, but their conversation about it made it seem like, like Lalo said he needed this to be done and Nacho, you know, knew that he had a guy and he, he said, I've got a guy for that. Didn't he? Yeah. I, th- th- I think. He, so like, I, I think he yeah, would bring he said up, he's got the guy, guy that, but and then, then he's like, I, like that guy. Oh, it's yeah, that guy. Yes. Yes. Exactly. But I okay, think you're Lalo right, just you're right. had a plan that we need to do this. And it happened to be someone who would uh-huh. have this that Jimmy would have. Okay. Um, but he definitely had heard already um, of of uh, Jimmy's altercation with Tuco. I like that. That's even better. And that is like a deeper knowledge, right? That not only it, he was kind of – he was double spoken for, right? 
Yeah. Like Nacho was like, how about I got a guy? And he's like, oh, that's the guy I would have said if you needed a guy. <laughs> you know, I like that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I loved their conversation about Tuco here, by the way, with Jimmy, you know, sidestepping things. A serious passion for justice. <laughs> you know, actually, they wheeled out just their conversation there was great. Uh, How was your abuelito? How was your sweet yeah. abuelito? <laughs> <laughs> and you could the guy see. with the mouth, yeah. <laughs> And you I could love see also how much Lalo is just appreciative. He just enjoys Jimmy. Yeah. I like it anytime anyone enjoys Jimmy's talkativeness, you know. They've got that same kind of thing about them, right? Lalo yeah, is charisma. That, yeah, yeah. And um it was funny to watch when Jimmy's like, May I speak? And he starts trying to get into the whole Tuco and he's like, you know, well, it's not true, I'll tell you, Baba. And Nacho's <laughs> standing over there just kind of looking at him like, dude, just stop talking. You know, stop yeah. talking, but and what are you going to do? We were wondering, right, last week about what this play was going to be that they needed Jimmy for. It turns out to be pretty simple, actually. It was a scam like we were thinking about and related to being a lawyer. But really, it's just about communicating information. Yeah. You know, but... it's for uh, which... I, I, you, we could have thought of that, but I think we were both imagining something a little more complex. And maybe communicating information is to downplay it because they they put on a whole performance, but you know. But it is. I think you're right about that. That it seemed like it was going to be something. Well, it probably is going to be, you know, because the information that he wants him to communicate is trying to mess with Gus. Right. Yeah. Just, and it'll continue, I suppose, yeah. too. And this is this really comes from Hector. Because Hector mm-hmm. was the one who said, go after the money. If there's no money. And then they that was when he was giving him the liquor last episode. So it's that that's true. But I think for for me, the thing that I really kind of felt was after seeing this whole journey that Jimmy has been on. This is like a definite step into the underworld, right? Like this is more than the cell phones or like making deals with the judges or the DA or running a little scam, running like the scam for uh Huel. This is like becoming a, on, on retainer for a cartel. So I think it really was kind of a pretty big character leap um, for him to, his idea, you know, at first it seems like he's going to turn him down. Uh, but then it just becomes a question of money. Yeah. And Jimmy just, uh, ends up having no idea how high he could have gone. <laughs> what do you say? 7,900 out of his back pocket, eight grand. Jimmy has, he just has no idea the amount of wealth that these people have. Yeah. It's funny. And that says something too, right? Like he doesn't, he doesn't really know what he's getting into because he's always been a scammer, right? And a con man, but he hasn't been in like the cartel, you know, he hasn't, this is a different level for him. Yeah. This is like a, more than a few levels up. I yeah. feel like from where he was. That's true. <laughs> That's true. You're right. It is kind of like going again, like that kind of micro to macro scale. He, he, you know, he became a lot bigger than that little ant 
here. And uh, the number's cool, too. What was it? $7,937? 2025. <laughs> he gave him a $75 tip. Yeah, and then Lalo says the number back, and he's almost trying to figure it out. This was this scene was great, and the lighting on this. It was Lalo cottoned on to what the deal was with Jimmy there. What do you mean that he was just kind of nervously making it up? That Jimmy was making it up as he went. Definitely, you know that he he was trying to. He realized, oh, I can actually get a good amount of money here, and Lalo's just amused. Like this is the height that uh, he managed to get to. Yeah, I think so. I mean. That's the thing about this episode is Jimmy Saul is really kind of figured out by both Lalo and Hank in this episode after seeing him pull these successful scams and be able to kind of fool people. He's now moved to a different level and he's got to kind of learn to swim with these sharks. Mm-hmm. Right. That's by the way. I think it's worth mentioning that Aziz caught what is what made him think of uh, the wire in this scene. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning, which is there's a scene with Cuddy where he's uh, he wants to build a gym. Yeah. Financing. And he gets all worked up and talks and talks and talks and he wants like 15 grand. The guy's like, dude, you could have just told me like you could you didn't have to talk all that. Here you go. There's nothing. Yeah. And that, that was the same situation where it's also a, and in the wire, remember it's that lure that upsets him, right? That the person he's potentially going to work with could have that kind of control. Mm -hmm. And I think that Jimmy though, it's exciting. And I think, you know, he's, I think he's excited, even though he tries to get out of it in the end, I think in, you know, this is kind of what, this is, this is what you get if you play this game. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I wonder when we're oh. going to see what, what kind of house Saul was, ends up living in. We're, we're about to see him, you know, fairly soon next season, really get a lot of money, yeah. right? He's yep. going to be making a lot of money. He lives very flashily. But in Breaking Bad, we never saw his life. I feel like he's got to be doing it up large. <laughs> doing it up lo- And there is so much house stuff. Them visiting yeah, the house. Yeah, That's kind of why it's on my mind is yeah. what, what would his house look like? He's wondering. Yeah. Yep. So that's interesting. Um, the scene when Jimmy – so now we have Jimmy and Domingo – it meeting mm-hmm. this is where Jimmy kind of gives him or Saul. I should I start calling him Saul or should I keep? Yeah, on I don't know. Should we Jimmy? call him Saul during his lawyering and Jimmy elsewhere? <laughs> what is I don't know. Him? I don't know. But kind of like a Jekyll Hyde type of situation. You got to distinguish. Yeah, this is um, this really, uh, you know, he just kind of he immediately is in on this, you know, and he knows how to do it and he's given him the information and also, Oh, the reason why I had it in the notes is because I remember last episode when I saw Domingo walk in, um, in his like jumpsuit, then all of a sudden it was like, he was a, and I kind of remembered more the breaking bad, mm-hmm. you know, this real, oh, this episode just really, this show has sometimes, especially the Jimmy and Chuck stuff, felt so not Breaking Bad to me. 
Mm-hmm. And this episode and this season is real. They real. I mean, it's obvious that they're getting to it because we've only got two seasons left. But it's just even in the way that they're representing characters that we knew in both places, they're becoming more so like those Breaking Bad characters so much now that mm-hmm. it really feels that way. And of course, speaking of that, we have the great Hank and Gomez. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. makes his return. Yeah, uh, I think as soon as you see those government tags, you know yeah. who it's going to be. And then yep. he crosses across the car and you only see his middle half. <laughs> and uh, what's kind of cool, though, is if you remember, this scene actually starts with Jimmy across the street drinking mm-hmm. a coffee and he watches them come there and i thought that that was interesting because it it, i guess in a way it signaled to me okay jimmy's already got the jump on him but that didn't Mm -hmm. help him in any way because the scene inside the room with uh all four of them is just i mean it's old school hank it's beautiful and he catches what they're doing but um i want to talk about the entering scene which was so beautifully shot with the little cameras inside the um uh the lockers where they put their guns and everything their little conversation walking in it was just i i I thought it was a perfect way to reintroduce hank yes yes their conversation was hilarious it made me I, i had forgotten just how funny they were together sometimes them talking about expired food Gomez, both of his replies were so good. Food bangs, it's not relevant at all. These aren't food that they're going to, they're foods Hank wants to eat. And then he just brings up old vanilla frosting. Very weird replies, which Hank recognizes that. Uh, So that was just a nice light bit of humor, I thought. But regarding Jimmy standing outside before uh, Hank and Gomez enter, definitely uh, hammered home how much every bit of it was calculated, was planned. Mm -hmm. That it wasn't that, you know, something surprised him by him bursting into there. Yeah. and um, Although I do think, like, it seems like the arrest part of it all was not part of the plan. It wasn't specifically mentioned by Lalo that this was okay, but Lalo ended up being okay with it. Is that your interpretation? What what do you mean? Uh, That Hank and Gomez said, okay, but we need arrests. We need arrests. Yes. And then when when they go back to Lalo, Jimmy says they're going to need arrests. And Lalo, you know, it's, he takes a second and then he's like, yeah, that's fine. Um, But I I don't think think that they went in saying like with the idea that he should offer that. No, no, not at all. Actually, I think that this is kind of a undercurrent of the plot of this episode, which is that they are got very quickly way over their heads. Like, I think that Lalo thought that Jimmy was just going to sit down with the regular cops, you know? And just say, oh, this was a drop point. They're going to pick up the kid. It's going to make Gus look bad, blah, blah, blah. Now, all of a sudden, the DEA is involved and they're not, it's going to take the money and they're looking for arrests. Now, 
either it makes me think Lalo here and that say, okay, either I'm in over my head or I have to, I got to flip this. And now I have to really go for the jugular with Gus. And perhaps that's calling back to the line that you remind us of in from Breaking Bad. Perhaps this is where Lalo, you know, like with the card game, everything is kind of planned in this show. They were playing cards. Maybe he doesn't have the hand he thinks he has. And this is the way Gus flips it on him. Like he goes for it because we know that Gus, eventually Gus is ingratiated to Hank and all them, right? Mm -hmm. He's well known. So Yeah, you know, okay, go on. I'm just saying, is this really Lalo goes for broke with it? They get to, you know, because also my question is, why would they bring in the DEA? It's because they're already working on this case, right? Mm-hmm. They know who he is. So they've got a board somewhere and they probably know who Domingo, they don't maybe know who Lalo is yet, but they probably know who Nacho is, but, but they don't know who Gus is. So that's how I think this could end up becoming is setting the tone. I don't for think that. that's necessarily true. Okay think that i mean the amount that he had that they were talking about i w- could merit them coming in i think so because it was a stash and house I, the other way. thing is that they weren't going to come in because he wasn't going to talk and then he said oh i have a bunch of big information so they came in right okay maybe you're right maybe it's that i mean you can yeah. interpret it either way but i do think there is another interpretation there definitely and during this scene with domingo what i was really thinking about was you know, the timeline of Breaking Bad, which is that obviously he, you know, he dies in season one. I was like, should I spoil this? I don't know who's listening. I think we're probably pretty safe. I think if you're listening to a Better Call Saul podcast, you've seen Breaking Bad. However, I don't think if you've seen Better Call Saul, you necessarily have seen Breaking Bad. So I like to be safe with what I mentioned. Um, uh, yeah, but I think also I almost feel like with this I don't know. I guess it's almost, I almost feel like how can you, we have to kind of, you know, like. That's what I mean is with a podcast. I think this is where we have to, and the only people that would be listening won't care. Uh, But to go on. But if uh, they do email us and we'll maybe. Yeah. yeah, They'll let us know. know. But Domingo dies right in season one. um, And that's a huge moment, but. It is, it's season two that Saul is introduced, introduced. So my question is how long that timeline is. And, you know, it seems like we would see what Saul's doing during that year or so that is concurrent with Breaking Bad in which Domingo is still mm. is active. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about how concurrent it might end up being, especially because if in season two – He's concerned about Eduardo and Ignacio, then that points to events taking place during a closer time period, yep, like definitely. concurrently with season one versus, you know, a year or two before, right? Yeah, I lot- think so. But he also, it's also possible that he falls in and out of favor mm-hmm. with them. So his connection to them may vary. You know what I mean? Because we do know that he becomes, you know, Saul Goodman and he's everywhere with the, po- you know, so he does have yeah. to build that other business um, at the same time. So it's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, have so, to I mean, see. We've got a good amount of time 
I think before we're at the point where we see meet him in season two. So I wonder, I wish I knew what year they were in right now. That would help clarify things next week. We'll have that information. How about that? There's also the fact that as we've spoke about, they have so many, they have so many directions and time periods that they could go in and they have done time jumps on this before that we could see, you know, the last season could involve several different hops to where we're mm-hmm. seeing things and kind of filling things in. Um, yes. But, um, but let's get back to the, the scene with them inside and justice Hank is, it was uh, for a second. I had the kind of, Oh my God, it's Hank. Then he's so himself. And when he sits down, I had just a little bit of dialogue when he kind of gets to it. He's like, give me the deets where the drugs come from, who the money goes to the name of your boss and who you report to. And then he leans back and he's like, for starters. And it's just like such, he's so, he's so in control. And it reminded me of why I love Tank because he has that bubbly personality, just like Lalo, just like Jimmy, he's charismatic and he appear, he always appears to be dumber than he is. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he always kind of comes off that gives him an air and just the way he looks, he's smiling. He always kind of seemed, but he's so sharp and Mm -hmm. he immediately picks up on the game that Jimmy's trying to run on him. And he immediately picks up on Saul. Good man. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I really did like that. Everything. And it's just, it really, I was like, Hank is just the real deal. I mean, you know, I'll come out here. I'm not a Hank fan. Oh, really? No, I'm not. I, I've never liked him very much. <laughs> so I think it's interesting how much you're raving and praising him. I, don't, <laughs> I love Tank. I don't dislike him. He's just kind of bland to me overall. I just, uh, I, I always like him. I will him. point out, I just have to bring this up right now. It's my favorite <laughs> little, little headcanon thing to do with Breaking Bad, to do with Hank in particular. Marie had purple everywhere, right? Yeah. And it's gone when Hank's gone, you know. So I like to think that Hank's favorite color was purple. And so Marie got all that purple stuff, like, just for Hank. Because he mentioned sometime, like, my favorite color is purple. <laughs> I like, that's a good, that's a good color it's for him. It's a little sweet thing. I don't know. I th- when I think of Hank, I think of Marie. So I was glad they mentioned her. But I like Marie a lot more, so. And, and all, yeah, I, I like that they mentioned Marie. Which kind of bring it brought me just a mention of her when he was talking to Gomez. He's there walking through the hallway. He says Marie, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's awesome." I just like the kind of bringing in a little bit of his world into it, you know, and reminding mm-hmm. us. But to see that, like I said, the reason why I always like Hank was I thought he was a complex character, and I love the actor too. I think that he just brought a depth to a character that otherwise could have been kind of bland. So it's interesting that for me, I found him to be, and I mean, he's of course the guy who figures out in the end, you know, he figures Walter out. So, and I love that moment. I just thought it was perfect too. I'm the shitter, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So, we move on in this storyline to Jimmy, Lalo, and Nacho at the racetrack. What an amazing shot. 
they not only they go back to it this that it was like an album cover and they actually do kind of a mid and a wide of them leaning up against that red car with the color right it was just it was absolutely beautiful and i wonder how many times that the actor had to do that really quick like spin out to get into <laughs> the frame of the yeah. car that was just it was just amazing i loved it and it was kind of cool too again they start the meeting at the auto body shop. He's fixing a car. Jimmy goes, he completes the mission, right? He makes mm-hmm. the deal with Hank. Okay. And the deal actually turns out pretty basic after all they're huffing and puffing. If the money's there, Domingo's good and he's a CI. If it's not, the deal's off and that's it. Yeah. Pretty simple, right? Like for all. Yeah, Jimmy's- I don't really know if they needed such a big <laughs> performance for that. That's what. That's kind of like. I wonder if Jimmy's gonna. This is gonna be something that he learns. His Saul is. You don't always need that big performance. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I, but I really loved what you were saying there. That you then after Jimmy does his work, you see the car. Lalo appreciating. He's like, oh, I love this new carburetor yep. that I got. And it's like the job is done, right? Yeah. And it's the process. And I thought that that was just brilliant. Like, that's how you bookend it. Where are we going to have him meet? Well, he was fixing the car and it works for this story too. And also he's like running circles around Jimmy, you know, pretty much everybody is. Or Lalo feels like he is until, you know, Gus might enter it. Um but uh, did you have anything else about kind of this scene? About that scene. Yeah. Um, just one little tiny thing. I just want to take a moment to appreciate that grin, that big grin in the sound that Lalo makes before he drives away after that. He's like, claw. He just <laughs> he makes this, this enthusiastic sound and his face is grinning after, you know, basically saying, no, you're in it. You're on retainer. Yeah. You are ours. You know, but he's so full of glee. I love that guy. And and like yeah. we had talked about before, um, you know, this is where he finds out about the whole download of what's going on. And I, I don't know. I think that that's just an interesting point when when he his kind of non reaction because he was like the DEA. And then he did say back to him, oh, the DEA. Mm-hmm. You know, like kind of, oh, okay. So I wonder where he's going to go with it. Yeah, yeah. Because that is a bit more than I think he bargained for. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, how, did they mention how much money was, does Gus later mention how much money is yeah. at each drop? It, it was half a million throughout Ooh. the dead drops, um, which, so I was taking note that Nacho as an informant is worth at least 500K. <laughs> yeah. Which may, wow. I mean, that's not unreasonable to me. He's, you know, pivotal and this would totally blow his cover. So Gus is stuck with leaving these, this half a million in the dead drops, but they're gunning for arrests too. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how Gus can sidestep this once they get money from the dead drops. Well, those dead drops can no longer be good dead drops. So Gus is fine, but he has to eat that 500 K. Yeah, and it has to be – in order to get those arrests, it has to be more than just that going and, and, and intercept. I mean, are they just going to try to get guys at the dead drops yeah, or is I Hank mean, I pushing guess, for more, you know? Yeah, I feel like if they get them at the dead drops, that's the arrest. Okay. So 
hopefully that's it. Otherwise, uh, Domingo's in the hole for trying to get him more information. But I, I do want to take note, too, that during that scene uh, with Gus, that Nacho does bring up Jimmy. You know, he's like, the lawyer has their names yep. uh, of the of Hank and, and Gomez, obviously. Um, so we see right there the, the very first connection between them and it's just the lawyer. <laughs> yep. That's, that's who, that's the guy. Um, there's also an um, amazing shot, uh, from behind where Gus is centered on what is that power station. Yeah. It's got all the electricity, yeah. like sparks flying. Yeah. And that's so thematic for, you know, like, where do we see Lalo? He's on a racetrack. He's good, right? <laughs> but Gus is like at the power station mm. looking over it, you know, like he's in control. He's he's almost looking up at it as if all that power going is like what Lalo's going to do, what, you know, the cartel is going to like all the things that he's trying to figure out. And eventually he's going to get scorched, though. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad. Poor Gus. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Gus is so terrible, but it's hard not to like him. I know, just like Lalo too, right? Like you kind of, I kind of want him to be friends. But it's, uh, it's interesting because I, I like them both for such different reasons too, yeah. in terms of being criminals. They're two very different ends of the spectrum, although they're similar in certain ways. I, Lalo has a certain calm, collected nature to him that I also really appreciate that he's somewhat logically minded more, you know, not so much as Gus, but he's not, he's not uh completely uh, irresponsible, reckless, you know, et cetera. Sorry about that noise. My phone oh, just made yeah. some weird noise uh, <laughs> that happened. So maybe it was Jimmy calling. It was that these damn yeah. cell phones. I forgot to turn it off. Got to press one. You better call him back. Yeah. I better call Saul. Um, oh, that was perfect. Um, yeah, this was, you know, I wonder Gus knows everything. Um, what does he, does he, I wonder if he's going to keep the drugs there. Does he t do a move after that? Or is he just going to, cause he hasn't really gone on the offensive against Lalo, you know? And yeah, I want to yeah. see, he's kind of been on the defensive. He had to cover up what happened with Mike and with the Germans, um, the whole chicken fiasco. Right. And <laughs> now he's, he's getting the information, but I wonder if Gus goes on the offensive. And then I wonder to your point about Lalo's kind of smoothness, we know who Lalo's related to Hector and Tuco. These guys mm -hmm. are not very sane. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, when does Lalo, do we see Lalo lose it? That's mm -hmm. what I'm wondering. Does he have that in him? Does he have that kind of killer instinct? Because he seems to really look up to Hector and he speaks affectionately about Tuco, you know, and kind of takes pride in him. Uh, and we know how nuts they are. So, yeah. you know. Is is the I wonder how deep it's going to get between Gus and Lalo, mm -hmm. and I wonder how because the Gus we see in Breaking Bad is even more careful than we see him now, you know, and I wonder if something kind of goes off where he gets his hands even dirtier with what happens 
with what's going to happen with Lalo. So it's really interesting to me. Take a little break to remind you of our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. This season of Better Call Saul on Daily DVR is presented by them, our awesome presenting sponsor for over a year now. As I said in the intro, they've got some great stuff coming out. Go and pre-order some of those The Child products. And you know, anytime you have an event coming up, head over to the blog at Cufflinks.com, reach out to them. They will help you out. They're there to help you. And if you regularly check the site, they've always got sales going on. That's why I say just go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Check out the awesome sales. You can use our code DVR20, or you can use one of the codes that you'll find on the homepage. They've got it all. Look good when you step out in the morning. Elevate your style. You have a personal style. Make it, baby. Cufflinks.com today. One of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends. And one of those friends is Andy. You may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts. And Andy and his wife, Claire, are looking to adopt. So if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in southern Minnesota with a dog, Barney, and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have. To learn more about them, check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire Adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at andrewandclaireadopt at gmail.com. Thanks. Um, so I was reading, I actually read the New York Times as a dude who does kind of like, I try to read some reviews of the show and pick things up. And the thing with the puzzle and the woman, that was because she was tweaking, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. The guy in the New York yeah, Times did not pick it up. doing the Rubik's Cube, talking <laughs> about cleaning it, and then the remote, yeah. and just, but. It was like Jesse. Yeah, yes, exactly. It made me think of, yeah, Jesse, and two things, I mean, Jesse, period. But then, you know, how Nacho, he's like patient, he's not irritated with it, he finds her distraction. It just reminded me of Jesse when he had all the junkies at his place, right? You know, he just, he couldn't be alone. He was so lonely. And that one big Nacho room. so lonely too. Yeah, with the big And speakers. I don't want to paint Nacho as just a good guy for this because he's giving these girls hard drugs and like sleeping with them and all that. He's not exactly a good guy here, but relatively speaking, he is. And I, I think you can see his deep loneliness and that, I mean, who else? He's not going to get a real girlfriend. She'll just be in danger too. Yeah, that's, you know, this was really interesting to me. And, you know, we had seen them before. Yeah, um, Amber and the other girl, but we've seen yeah. them both in bed with him. Yep. And and it that I thought, okay, maybe they're just at his place. But it seems like they like live there with him. Yeah. And I it I think it did it like you said it reminded me of Jesse like Nacho was kind of the Jesse in a little way, I guess of this show where you're mm. right. He's just so lonely because with all this money, he, ha he doesn't have, it's like he could have a life like Gus where he has a normal life. He doesn't have to live that life, 
but he's got like two tweakers living with him in this. I mean, right now he does have to live that life, right? I I don't think he can not live that. I mean, he doesn't have to have two two junkies living with him. I, I, I say that point, but if he doesn't have them living with him, who does he have? Right. Yeah, I guess that. Who could he right. have? Yeah, that he, is. He cannot have anyone else. I, I mean, they already. His father is a huge liability. He can't just run because his father won't run. Yeah. Which I mean, we're about to get into that right here, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, that was heartbreaking. One, yeah, his father. I mean, I, I, he has to have known for a while. How can he not be just abundantly aware of his son's job, given this very fancy place that Nacho has? Mm-hmm. And the cars, too. Yeah, the cars. Just looking, you know, just going into the scene, his father looks so sad from the very beginning. And, you know, then they sit down, right? And his father says he got an offer. Personally, I didn't actually know where this conversation was going to go. I really wasn't expecting it to be that Nacho tried to buy him out. I was just pleased that he got an offer. I was like, oh, this works out really well. Maybe he'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I saw it coming. I, 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 just, I, was, I just felt the sadness in this and the, w- the way his dad introduced it. And they kind of f- kept flashing over to Nacho. I got mm-hmm. the feeling that we were going to get one of these sad scenes where the dad is just, you know, he's so heartbroken over his son and distrustful too of the life he's living that we don't know. I mean, whether Nacho gave the money or not is not really the point. I think the point is just that his father, his image of him has so turned that he would not take it even just to spite the life that his son is living. I mean, he goes as far as to tell him to turn himself into the police, Mm -hmm. which is like, not just, he's not just saying to him, leave this life. He's saying, turn yourself into the police. And you know what? If I was Nacho, I would be really worried that my father said that. Uh, Yeah, I guess you're right too. I, you know, Nacho obviously knows his father particularly well, whether how much he values family, if he would ever do something like that. So I wonder how worried he is about yeah. that in general, if it wouldn't even cross his mind. That, that ain't something that he's going to he's going to let think, uh, Lalo know. Hey, my dad's worried about you know, yeah, that's tell him that. But my impression, I'm not sure, I guess, what. I think there's a couple of reasons why his father could have told him to turn himself into the police. But one is for protection instead of running True. that you get better protection. And I think that was a, an element of yeah. it. But I'd have to re-listen to his exact words to to see which interpretation I have. But, yeah, it could be turn yourself in. You've done bad things and you need to atone for it. Right. And that's the only way you can get out of this. Or turn yourself in, they will protect you, you know, give them information, etc. Either way, it's don't run from the problem yes. you're in. Yeah. and But also, it's that he feels there, his father is the type of person who feels there must be some justice done because of their actions. And if he feels that way about his son... What if Gus or Lalo or one of the guys gets wind of this kind of feeling? That's the kind of feeling that gets daddy taken out, you know, mm-hmm. regardless. And I think that it's just that that scene made me feel uneasy because 
it's good to have scenes where we get to know Nacho more, but to bring his father back like that makes me think it reinforces what's going on with him and Lalo and Gus, but it makes me think that his father, and we've already saw him in trouble before, right? Last episode where mm-hmm. Gus was kind of threatening him, well, not kind of, was threatening him, that that is something that is ever present with Nacho, but that also may become again something we have to become worried about. But um, I yeah, I wonder, was, oh, I mean, either of them have kind of, that's their leverage. If yeah. they do anything to him, well, then yeah. they lost him. Yeah. He but, has nothing. To, why? Why would he doesn't need to do anything? He can run if he chooses to. He might die, but that's their leverage. So I don't think Lalo or Gus have any reason to actually harm his father, right? That's true. As long as Nacho keeps on doing what he's doing, because there's levels of harming someone. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, they, if they if they just captured his father and held him, you know, hostage and. Then yeah, Nacho would have to start would keep working with them, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm getting uh down to some Jesse being territory. <laughs> I did want to mention just the great writing and just developing even a small character like Nacho's dad with great uh, great casting and acting, and how the sweetness in which he even like introduces himself to the girl, you know, and like, yeah. it's like, hello, hello, young lady, you know, <laughs> and it's almost, you know, he, he wants to have this dream that his son, he would be introduced properly to a woman that his son is dating. Right. Mm-hmm. But they don't have that. And, uh, it shows also kind of like the fallacy of Nacho thinking that his dad would run away with him. Remember last season, we had that scene of him longingly looking at their passports, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I don't know. Nacho is in the clincher here. Yeah. It makes me think of It's the beginning of that scene with uh, Nacho and his father is like set right in front of that room piece of art, like big, it dominates mm. the room. It's very much reminiscent of, of Nacho's car in particular, that hot rod kind of car. Um, and it's been this set piece behind, but I, I personally think it'll have great significance. You know, already the idea that Nacho just wants to run away, just escape, room, get out of here. Um, but I, it makes the focus on it, you know, right there when they're specifically thinking about just leaving everything and makes it points even more to the idea to me that nacho does run away that he maybe does get out and he isn't killed i I like to think that but either way i think it it does show this uh theme uh throughout nacho's plot line um that i mean he's constantly thinking about he's constantly you know uh wondering about it fantasizing about it uh, um and then we see that's what happens to to jimmy to Saul, he ends up in that life. And so I, I am wondering if, if that's where Nacho is, is also in that life. Yeah, I, I don't, we, we shall see, but it, it does, it does worry me. And also with Gus have already breaking into the house earlier, there's just a, there's just an ominous feeling about Nacho and his dad. And, um, he's, he's got to play it right here because, we also know that Lalo likes to follow people. Yeah. Right? That's true. We saw that last season. We shouldn't forget 
that just because we're not seeing him doing stuff like that now doesn't mean that he's lost interest in his little Lalo detective agency. (laughs) I mean, like (laughs) he could be following, he could be seeing what's happening with Gus and Nacho, you know, and playing it. So it could get deeper than that. Um, But someone who is deeply fucked up and drunk, we should move on to Mike. Yeah. Um, We We didn't get a lot of him here, but what, what we got was, was good. He's, and he's got a lot more than 20 bucks, asshole. <laughs> that was this whole thing, man. I mean, it's not getting any better. And talk about becoming the Mike of Breaking Bad. When he tells him to remove the picture, which we had talked about before the podcast, that was of the Sydney Opera House. Yeah. He talked about that, that picture, that postcard with uh, Ziegler, with Werner Ziegler. And uh, he pointed it out that he wanted to go with his wife. And so, yeah, Mike didn't want a reminder of him. But that was scary when he's like, take it down. Take it down, please. I probably would have taken it down after the first time. (laughs) I I would have just taken it down. I was like, he's drunk. Let's take it down. I'll put it back up tomorrow. I would have taken it down because I was like, Mike's going to kill my ass, man. (laughs) Fucking with this dude. Yeah, that guy clearly knows him. That's the same bar that he's been to before. Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah, that that was you could. That was interesting, too. That kind of subtle interplay between them that it communicated I thought exactly what you said, right? And there's no dialogue that told us that, that they knew each other. And they communicated that as actors just in the way that Mike kept just saying it in the same, he didn't really raise it up. The guy, and then the guy did it, but he wasn't scared, you know, cause that was Mike. But um, when he goes outside and takes on those kids, that was not that it made me actually think of again of the ants thing like the danger of being a little ant with all that was not i mean i guess that was like a typical like 80s movie cool guy move but that was really yeah. fucking dumb <laughs> you know he could have easily been overwhelmed by them he could have been shot beaten killed or like it was not a smart move for him to even no do you're that. right he could have he could have gotten hurt but I mean, yeah it speaks to what you were saying right there and that Mike just angry and he wants to get out his emotions that way. And if someone comes looking for a fight, then, Oh, that's great. The highlight of his day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell you during that sequence, the hooligans coming after him. I did want to see Mike be a badass on some level. (laughs) I was like, I can't wait to see his reaction to this. What's he going to do? And I was shocked that they even got to the point of punching him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then Mike just takes it too far. Right. He just he, he he disabled him. He got him on the ground. The kids all got the message. I call them kids. They're young adults, but they got the message. And then he just keeps breaking his arm uh-huh. just farther. And then he farther. steps on him when he walks away. He steps yeah, right on the dude. Yeah, it's, it's extreme. It's very extreme. That's the Mike of Breaking Bad, right? That's the hard side. And like you said, he's up for a fight, whether it's his granddaughter or a group of kids or the bartender. And I think I can think that this only ends. We obviously know that he goes back and works with Gus so that this is where this is going, that he realizes that, you know, like, fuck it, this is who I am in a way. 
do you think? Or I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I think it'll be an internal realization or an external motivation. I guess. Hmm, true. Um, People do yeah, get sucked I, I, back in. Yeah, I'm not sure which I think it is. Um, we are seeing him get darker, but that does, you know, require a certain amount of self awareness for Mike to to achieve to be like that. But maybe we still see like. I mean, we didn't see a lot of Mike here, so if we still keep seeing a little bit every episode, just him descending, that gets us, uh, maybe it's more believable to me. Because at this point, it just seems like it would be too quick of a flip. It would make him bowing out on Gus much less, much more meaningless. That's true. That is true. There should be some sort of more development there. And um, as we've seen with Jimmy and Nacho and everybody you get sucked into this life and you can't really let it go. You know, Mm. if, if, and as we, I mean, we were just talking about Gus, what's Gus going to do next? Who's, who's a guy who he really can trust. Mm -hmm. Mike. Mike. Yeah. You know, and I don't think that Gus was, uh, just like Lalo's not going to let Jimmy out. Gus isn't just going to let Mike out. Yeah. If he needs him. Um, you want to move on to Jimmy and Kim? Yeah, I think I do. Speaking of uh, nice bookend uh, scenes like we were talking about with Lalo and the car or uh, the ants, for example, uh, I really, really, really loved the flipping of of Jim and Kimmy's positions with Kim on the balcony versus Jimmy with mm -hmm. them drinking beer later with them sharing a cigarette, which is. One of my favorite things from all of Better Call Saul is that first introduction of them together, you know, where he walks out and they share a cigarette in the shadows and you see them again, have that that same interaction later. And it's just this beautiful, silent uh, interaction that they have and have had over the seasons. And to see them bring that back is a moment of connection um, for one. And there's so much more to talk about here. Yeah, no, it was beautiful. And yeah, like you said, we start out with Jimmy pulling into the into the apartment with the wad of cash in his money, uh, with yeah. the wad of cash in his wallet, and feeling kind of high on what had just occurred um, with because this was <laughs> before he goes and meets with Hank and Domingo, and Kim is up there, and then it, after Kim has visited, his name is Everett, right? Um, at, and gone and done the whole Mesa Verde thing. And she's coming back though, but she's defeated and she pulls in. It's the same exact shot, just like you're talking about. It was, yeah, it was really beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. but in in the first sequence, right. When he comes back, uh, she is excited about the, the day to come and her pro bono work. And, uh, you know, they're just talking about their day. Jimmy manages to, kind of sidestep to separate step around how his day went uh, and uh but i really notable in this opening scene to me with jimmy and kim is the separation of jimmy and saul you know even jimmy he goes saul goodman had his best day yet mm-hmm. and then kim goes good for saul right so even jimmy still is trying to keep this separation right yeah and i think he also has blue on when he yes. changes his outfit into his home attire. Um, and yeah, these two bookending balcony scenes are really beautifully written. 
the thing with in the first scene, Kim is constantly staring at his beer, which is sitting on the ledge of the balcony, right? Uh, Of the railing. And there's three shots where she looks at it and they, you know, and then he's playing the game where he's dropping it and catching it and dropping it and catching it. And then when they come back after she has been through this whole thing of getting called out to work for Mesa Verde when she wants to do this pro bono work and the two confrontations she has with Everett and how really demeaning he is or really looking through her bullshit. First name Everett. Everett Was was it Everett or let's see. Cause I did get Everest. Everest. That's his first name. Yes. I think that's his name. I got, I I don't know. I mean, I got that from a a review. I think it was. Anyways, I did not know what an interesting first name. I did not catch his first name. What was his last name? Acker. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Everest Acker. That is an interesting, that was, um, the guy from, uh, he was on Northern exposure. If you remember, did you ever watch that show? No, I never watched that show. You will love it. You should watch Northern Exposure. That's Mm. a great show. I don't know where that's streaming now, but uh, it's been kind of lost to the uh, peak TV scene. But Northern Exposure is great. Um, But uh, Uh, yeah, so yeah, she so she comes back and she doesn't just she's not just, you know, teetering the bottle on the edge. Now she's throwing it right over the edge of the balcony, you know, and they just start throwing the bottles at the end. And it was just brilliant the way they built that up and the metaphor for her own life and her choices. Yeah. And it turns out to be Kim egging on Jimmy right here. Right. And then the episode ends with them, you know, causing this mischief and then running off together. (laughs) Nope. Which I think is really interesting. I don't think I wasn't anticipating this turn in Kim right now, personally, that she would uh, be at this stage of wanting to let off steam by doing some some bad, I guess. Well, I mean, we've seen that before, right? I just didn't think that that was her current course. She had sort of course corrected, right? But I... that's the kind of the question of, for me, of this episode is the experience that she has out there in the desert, the man at his castle and the way, you know, he just, the, the last thing he says to her is, you know, you'll say anything to get your way. Mm-hmm. And it's the realization there. He's right. I'll say anything uh, when I'm working for Mesa Verde. I don't want to be doing this anymore. I should be doing my pro bono work. Or is she slipping Kim going full force like Jimmy would and see it as an attack against all that is good? Then why be good? And I can't succeed in either way, you know, because the judge turned her down. She wasn't successful there, right? Like she's finding Mm -hmm. roadblocks everywhere. And now she wants to jump back in with Jimmy. I don't know. I I think it's more, you know, she dances that line, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think she does. It's just, this seemed more like her full heartedly (laughs) not dancing the line. Throwing bottles over it. There to be a bunch of 
stepping back and forth, back and forth, which is, again, not quite as much dancing the line as hopping up, you know, over. Yeah, is is jumping rope with it. I don't know. She's just crossing to one side of the fence to the other. But I don't think she's dancing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it was very defiant, right? I thought, to me, this is what I was thinking in my director's mind. They set up the beer bottle thing in the first scene with it on the railing. I thought in the second scene, she was going to take her bottle, put it on the railing. They were having a conversation Uh, Oh, they weren't. They were just sharing the cigarette. I thought she was just going to take her finger and push the bottle over. But Mm. she didn't do that. She started throwing him down. So you're right. It's like a defiant thing. Yeah. And Jimmy's just into it immediately. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) I I was surprised they didn't hit a car. I thought at the end they were going to hit a car. (laughs) You know, and it was going to be like real loud noise. But... Um, I, I mean, that's the way we end. What do you think? Do you think, um, we both stated, I mean, the first episode way back two weeks ago that we did, uh, when we were talking about the season starting that we were both kind of, and I know other people, there was an article, I think written in vulture about, you know, basically everybody's always worried about Kim. Um, do you think she's going to join up with him or I just, I don't know if she's ever going to go that way. I don't think she will still. I have to say this one, you know, sequence at the end is made me question that a little bit, but I still what it seems to signify to me, it's it still doesn't if if you look at it as if she is throwing herself fully into the this, she's even encouraging Jimmy, it doesn't seem like it'll ever be that, right? It's never going to be Kim encouraging Jimmy. It's always going to be him sort of uh, taking the lead, I feel like. And so I don't know how far I can take um, the symbolism of that sequence. Or maybe it's also um, just in general a, a step towards making some decisive moves in her life making a choice. Am I going to be with Jimmy? Are we going to get a house? Are we going to actually try to make a family or live together? Am I going to work at Mesa Verde or am I going to do the pro bono work and, and, ha- and just take some other cases to keep myself going, you know? Yeah. It could be a, a screw it. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. Yeah. And what doing what she wants isn't a life of crime, you know, or, or lying, scamming, exactly. et cetera, being shady. It's just, I, I Yeah. I'm going to be free, freer, but still she's not worrying about collateral damage. And I, I think, I mean, I think it's definitely significant. I also just think that she can make this grand statement. She can do that, but she'll just, she'll just take another two steps back. Mm. I I don't think she'll continue moving forward um, much at all. And I, I think she might well just go backwards. Well, one thing that we did learn a little bit of her backstory about, growing up so poor. Yeah. And I felt that that was a little bit of a nod towards, you know, I don't know, kind of um, just reminding herself of where she's come from and to maybe even take more pride in what she does. And acting out with Jimmy is just a part of their relationship. 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's because I, I just, I hope, I always hope the best for Kim. I just, yeah, that story of her childhood was very sad. And then Acker just replies with, you'll say anything, get what you want. Right. (laughs) Which is kind of true. I mean, I guess, but I don't know how, like, that's, we have to read into it. How genuine is Kim right there? I mean, she seems like it got at her as if she said all of that to get what she wanted, even if she was trying to justify it. But I, I don't think it's as cut as dry and dry as what he's saying. I, I think she genuinely had a moment there where she was brought back to her childhood and it got a little intense for her it's speaking. I, I don't think it was just facetious, right? I think both things can be possible, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's a good mirror to the case where Jimmy got, you know, pushed her in the first episode to lie about um, the DA pulling the deal, but then it was really for the better, right? And in this mm-hmm. case, you know, I think it's just this show so often plays with that, where the line is um, between good and bad or right or wrong. And I think it ultimately falls with the individual person and what they feel comfortable with. And I think that this just maybe woke Kim up to the fact that she wasn't really, she's not doing for her. She's doing for everybody else. Yeah. I will say, I mean, Mr. Acker, what a character, by the way, Uh, I have a few (laughs) things to say about him actually, but while I did think that his assessment of Kim was harsh, you know, you, all you do is you, you know, you give some charity every month, you do some pro bono work, basically, you know, you do a little things, little things here and there, and you try to justify it all. And I, I kind of think that is the direct direction she's going with Mesa Verde. I mean, we were talking about whether she would break free of that, but if she goes with Mesa Verde, I mean, in terms of a thing, she's just saying, you know, screw it, chuck it. Well, I mean, that can also be the loss of her compulsions while working. She's like, I'm already working for this big company. I already have to do these bad things. I'm just going to continue doing it for True. them. True. And, and I'm going to make up for it. This is what people are going to think of me. I'm ba- I'm a lawyer. I'm bad. Uh, so I'm just going to do that. And I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and it, and interestingly too, he said, you know, he kept on talking about all her because of the, you know, oh, we're going to raise it to 18K. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to buy a big out by his reaction at first. <laughs> I thought he genuinely was. Me too. Oh, Me I, too. I, that's much better because it was, it was 13K more. I'm, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nope. No, that was pretty. But he keeps on, he calls her like you money people. Yeah. But when you think about it and you see the apartment that she and Jimmy live at, they don't, they're not, and even with all Jimmy making money, they, yeah, don't, yeah, they don't seem to, they're not like materialistic people. They're not out buying new, he still has that shitty car. She still yeah. has her shitty car. Like they're not out living the life like that. They're still eating like freaking macaroni and cheese uh-huh. at the, uh, at the Island in their house. It's just, they're not yeah. really like that. Yeah, I mean, Kim is very clearly not the person that Acker saw her to be, but maybe his assessment is closer to the person she could be. True. Might come, I suppose. That's a great point. 
Acker did have a very good assessment uh, when he brings up, you're the big guns with a ponytail. (laughs) She is the big guns. She has an iconic ponytail. That is true. Just so famous among probably most Better Call Saul fans, but 100% all the women who watch this show are like, the Kim Wexler ponytail is majestic and fantastic and applause to their hairstylists. I, it's, it's, it, it's a power ponytail. It is. it is. It's perfect. I love it. Um, and you can tell so much about Kim if that ponytail is not on point. True. True. Yeah. <laughs> but this... yeah, so Acker generally, ugh, and I, I get it, right? I mean, he lived there for so long. He's got 70 years left. But when you, when you first see the house in this desolate place, it's so sad. And he's just trying to hang on. I, I, he's really dedicated to just sticking it to the law, to the lawyers. Yeah, it's a beautiful shot, too, in the location um, I didn't hear whether they, I didn't listen to all of the insider and they don't always talk about everything, but I'm interested to, I mean, they don't have a budget to like build a house like that. That must be somewhere where they only completed one house and then they put the fence around it Yeah, to make it look like that. Um, because that was so, I mean, you couldn't, I don't know how you could do better than that because the location too spoke so much to not only, of course, his situation, but the feeling of isolation that Kim feels um, and kind of even with her relationship with Jimmy. So then to come back from that and to connect with him, it's still, it's crazy. It's just like the scene where they go and look at the house. There's always so much pain when they're together and you sense their shared pain, but you also see the joy that they have in each other. Yeah. You know, and the love that really could be if, they were, you know, healthier people, they could be very happy together. Yes. But they are not. They are not. (laughs) And I guess that's about where we want to wrap it up. I want to say and ask everyone, are you always terrified when Kim drives? Whenever we have a long extended shot of her driving, I'm on the edge of my seat. (laughs) I was told, and she was looking at her phone. I was like, put the phone down, Kim. Yeah. I'm glad it isn't just me. I just had to check. <laughs> no, I was totally freaking. And I thought that maybe this was going to be another, you know, kind of bookends and she was going to get in another accident or something, but, uh, uh, because of Mesa Verde, but yeah, that was kind of scary. That was scary. Yes. All right. That was a great episode. Another one in the books. Um, do you have anything else you want to add or just want to say goodbye? I'm good. We covered it all very well, I think. All right. Well, we encourage everyone to download and subscribe and share the podcast. We really do appreciate that. Um, You can find out more about us at DVRpodcast.com and HistoryofWesteros.com. Until next week, peace out. We'll see you then.